Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jim Ranieri. You might often see me with a guitar standing up here. And uh, today I uh, have the privilege to kick off a series of sermons on death. And um, I think it's really good that our many of our children have the opportunity to go downstairs because that would have made for an awkward beginning of the sermon that we often do where we have a kid's question. And I'm really glad I didn't have to come up with the first kid's question surrounding death. And so um, that is really good that our children get to be downstairs if they so choose. Um, So we will be talking about death. And and today's sermon is focused on death in, in in two ways. Death as God's judgment, but also death as mercy. And I think we'll be able to break it down and see that uh, God, God is merciful and loving even in death. And that's really the, the hope that we'll arrive at. And yet, in this season of Lent, we have to reflect that death is a result of the fall and that it is a judgment on us. And so I, I think both of those things setting in and it will be helpful for us in the formation of our souls. Uh, our culture has an interesting relationship with death. Um, uh, simultaneously, many things are happening around us regarding death. Um, for some, death is something to be overcome. Uh, there are transhumanists currently at work now trying to come up with technological ways that would allow them to avoid death. There are some who believe that given technological advancement and advancement in, in biology and uh, Uh, biotechnology, we would be able to extend our lives longer and longer, and that perhaps if we could just tap into whatever allows certain organisms to persist forever, we might unlock the keys that would allow us to live forever. So while at the same time we have transhumanist movement attempting to allow us to live forever and to overcome death, we also have movements uh, largely happening in Western countries surrounding euthanasia. Um, You might notice if you read the news coming out of Canada that it is a growing program for assisted death in Canada for those who so choose. And that list of things that will allow you to be able to choose death in Canada is growing. And so not only does that list include um, diseases that will eventually take your life regardless, but uh, things such as sorrow and sadness, these things are allowed by law that you might enter in to dying. And so while at the same time, some people are attempting to overcome death by manipulating biology with technology, there are also people who are, we, we are saying as a culture, it's probably better for you to die. We have an interesting relationship with death. And I think a very wrong relationship with death. C.S. Lewis recognized this years ago, as he often recognized many things many years ago. And uh, he is a, a great prophet of the 20th century. In one of his most famous books, The Screwtape Letters, uh, if you're not familiar, The Screwtape Letters is a, uh, an older demon is writing a series of letters to his nephew, a younger demon, giving him all the best insights on how to manipulate mankind and how to take his patient, which is the person he's been charged with manipulating and tempting, how to get him off the rails, pull him away from God, that he might have victory. And in one of the chapters in the Screwtape Letters, Screwtape says, you know, death is uh, an interesting thing for us. It's one of our great tools that, uh, that our father, is what he calls Satan, uh, has given us. That death is a good way for us to use, uh, we can use death to manipulate humans, to pull them away from God. It's one of our favorite things. However, it's kind of changed. And Screwtape says, you know, ever since that pesky 
resurrection, that tool has become less useful. So he says there's a new method that we've tried that's uh, pretty, pretty convenient for us in, in manipulating humankind. He says what we can do is we can make people believe that death is the greatest evil and survival the greatest good. He said if we can get people to believe that death is the greatest evil possible and survival is absolutely the highest order good, we can make them do all manner of things. Right? And you can see that there are those in our in our culture now, those, those transhumanists I mentioned earlier, who would say death is the greatest evil and the greatest good is survival. And so as we, we understand this idea of death, you know, we, we recognize that it is an inevitability for all of us, that we will all um, get to the point in our lives where our lives will cease, that all of us will die. And that is partially a judgment in uh, Genesis 3, as, as we heard, that um, the day they eat of this fruit, death has entered the picture. That we die and that death is painful and it's brutal. And we die as a result of God's judgment. That um, we, we can't live on this earth forever because we have sinned. But what happens when we as humans try to take matters into our own hands? Whether we want to take matters into our own hands by overcoming death or we want to take matters into our own hands by entering death willingly. Uh, Peter Kraft is one of my favorite philosophers, and he says something quite interesting has happened over the last hundred years. We have learned uh, in, in huge ways how to master pain and suffering. In a lot of ways, we've extended life. And he would say, you know, those on the surface are really good things, but he says something interesting has happened to us socially and to our spirit and to our souls He says, we have reduced human suffering and we have prolonged life. We've reduced human suffering, he he says, let's say by 50%. We've cut it in half. That we suffer less than we used to, especially in advanced countries with great medical technology. We suffer less. But he says, something has resulted that's quite interesting. The, The suffering of the body has reduced, but it seems that if you read the news, the suffering of the soul is only growing. So we've started to distance ourselves from death and from suffering and from pain. And you would think that that will have unlocked the keys to joy for us. But Crave points out that's not at all true. If you read any statistics, you see that despair is on the rise, depression, all of those things. That the disease of the soul, as the diseases of the body have been tamed and pains of the body have been tamed, the diseases of the soul have grown more prevalent in, in our society. And I think that there's a lot of things we can learn in that about death. And as we take this time this season to understand death and pain and suffering and those things, how they go hand in hand, there's a fair amount for us to understand. There's a lot of wisdom in it. Do we as Christians see death as the greatest evil? We see death as an enemy. We see death as a result of the fall. We see death as God's judgment to us and on us, but do we see it as the greatest enemy? It seems that Jesus doesn't in Matthew 16, because he says, if you try so hard to save your life, you'll actually lose it. But if you give your life, you'll gain it. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us that there is no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for another. 
Jesus also warns us uh, not to fear the one who can destroy the body, but rather the one who can destroy both body and soul. So it seems that our Lord has told us that death, though evil, and death, though terrible and though sad, is not the highest and the greatest of evils, which would then mean that survival, though good and important, we want people to have prolonged lives. We want to advance in medical technologies that would, that would alleviate suffering. Survival can't be our highest order good. And so what sort of spiritual things come from this idea of death being the highest evil and survival the greatest good? Well, if survival is the greatest good, simply prolonging our lives here, it's quite easy for us to detach from the reality that uh, human beings are embodied souls. Right. And so uh, Thomas Aquinas puts it this way. He says, um, like animals, we are uh, appetite, but like angels, we are intellect. But here we sit as humans, the pinnacle of God's creation, that we are embodied souls with appetite like an animal, bodies like animal and yet intellect, soul, rationality like the angels. And we sit as uh, the pinnacle of God's creation that we are created in his image to reflect back to the world who he is. And so it, it's, it's a tough thing for us to take death and pain away from those, the way those things function on our souls. Those things are wholly interwoven uh, and intertwined. And so while it is easy to focus on death as God's judgment... I really want us to focus on death as God's mercy. The worst thing in my mind that could happen is for those transhumanists to succeed. What would it mean to live forever in this world? For death to never come, to live forever in this world that is filled with brokenness and suffering and sin. To me, for them to succeed would be destructive to souls. And so how is death a mercy to God? It's interesting, uh, Tolkien, when he writes, and yes, I have hit all of those speakers. If you're out there taking Jim Bingo. Uh, yes, those, that's finally here's a Tolkien uh, idea. Uh, in Tolkien's literature, it, it, there's this interesting reason why elves are somewhat uh, jealous of men. So uh, in Tolkien's lore, both men and elves are created um, as children of the God character, Eru Iluvatar. And this is probably getting too nerdy for you. Uh, but elves are a bit, uh, elves are a, a bit jealous of humans. And the reason is because humans get to die. And you wonder why Tolkien would say that that is a gift, that humans get to die. Well, you see it in elves because they are wholly tied to this earth. And um, unless killed, don't die. And the elves recognize that there is a mercy in death that humans get to have that they have not access to. And it's because this world is not as it ought to be. As we read in Genesis 3, uh, Adam and Eve entering into sin, allowing sin to, to usher into the world, has changed the entirety of the world. The world is not as it ought to be. And for us to persist continually in a world as it ought not to be would be the greatest pain. The greatest pain that I could imagine is not death, 
but it is me living forever in brokenness, sorrow, sin, lies, deception, using other people, being used by other people, for that to have no end is terrifying. And yet God is merciful. And I think we see this in Genesis 3 when even when he casts them out of the garden, he provides them clothing from an animal. That this animal dies and there's mercy in that death for Adam and Eve to cover their shame and to cover their brokenness. That this death is the beginning of this, this idea that death is a mercy. And I think that that's what Christ is showing us in that passage in Matthew. The reason that it is truly gaining life to give your life is because death here has, is, a, is a mercy and we do get to enter uh, an eternal world. To try so passionately to save this life would rob us not only of this life, but also life in the world to come. I'm reminded of a story of uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe. He might not be very familiar to you. Maximilian Kolbe was um, a priest and was sent to a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And he had a cellmate, and his cellmate was uh, particularly terrified of death. And the guards came to the cell one day to grab Maximilian Kolbe, uh, his cellmate, to bring him off to death. And as he saw his cellmate shaking, shuddered by this fear of death, Maximilian Kolbe strikes a deal with the guards at Auschwitz. And he says, will you take me instead? Let my cellmate live. Let me die. And Maximilian Kolbe is marched off to his death and is killed by the Nazis. And I wonder what sort of mindset, what sort of view of death must Maximilian Kolbe have possessed to make that decision? It can't be that death is the greatest evil. And it can't be that survival is the greatest good. Because if death were the greatest evil, survival the greatest good, then he would have obviously done the opposite. I think what we see in his willingness, and there are stories throughout church history of martyrs who have gone willingly to their death, that there is something greater than survival. And there is something far more evil than death. Again, we see this in the stories of the saints when we think of St. Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius of Antioch is an early 2nd century um, bishop in Antioch. And he is taken prisoner by the Roman Empire during a season of really heightened Roman oppression against Christians. And they decide to march him back to Rome to put him in the Colosseum to be devoured by animals. Now, it would have been easy to just take a ship and that journey would have lasted a week. But instead, they decide to make an example of him and march him across by land. And that journey ends up taking months. And Ignatius goes stop to stop to stop, and he simply preaches the gospel. What's interesting about Ignatius is uh, the legend was that he was the child that Christ picked up and placed on his knee um, when he told his disciples to let the little children come to him. Now, 
That's never been substantiated, but it is a beautiful, uh, it is a beautiful lore. But Ignatius is marched towards his death. And he's, he writes a series of letters. You can read the epistles of Ignatius. And he writes letters to these churches he visits so that they can have some insight and some wisdom and some spiritual formation as he's being marched to his death. And never does he fear death. Never does he see that this is the, great, the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to him. In fact, when he gets to Rome, a, a group of Christians in Rome have devised a plan to maybe pay off some guards and to get him out of prison so that he doesn't have to die. And Ignatius tells them, don't do that. And he says, don't, don't rob me of the opportunity to be martyred for my faith, but also that my death might bear witness to this very real truth, that death has been overtaken, that death has been redeemed. And I do not fear death the way I would if Christ had not already uh, overcome death. And so he goes to the Colosseum and he is martyred. And those stories are throughout all of church history. And it's because they grasp this very, really, this very real truth. That death is a judgment and we will die. But it is no longer the same. While it was once the great tool of the enemy, Christ takes on death, redeems death, and it is a tool for the enemy that has been neutered because it has been overcome, that we believe in the resurrection of the dead, in life in the world to come. And so it is a mercy as we, we study our own frailty and the reality that all of us will die is that there will come an end to this suffering and the pain that we experience in this life. And there is a very real joy which awaits us, which is why Paul tells us we don't mourn the death um, of people we love like others, like those who have no hope, because we have a very real hope. Now, we get to enter this season where we reflect on death. Let us not reflect on death as the greatest enemy, but an enemy that's been overcome and neutered. Let us not see it as the, the most evil of things that could possibly happen to us, nor let us not think of our survival as the greatest good, but let us see that the greatest thing that could happen to us is to be redeemed and to enter into full relationship with God. And let us see that the greatest evil that could possibly happen to us is for us not to experience that. I think Christ makes that point where he says, what would it profit you if you gained everything in this world? What would it profit you if you even gained eternal time here on this world? And all it cost you was your soul. Christ's answer is it would cost you everything. It would be meaningless. I'll end with a story that if you've been here for a while, you've heard. This story will forever be with me, and I'll say it over and over and over again because I will never forget that. The closest person I've ever been around in my life and watched die was my mother-in-law. And there were really profound moments in watching a woman who loved Christ die. She offered great wisdom. She had a peace, though fear, which was reasonable as she entered it, a peace that was uh, astounding to watch. As she, as she walked through that. Um, I remember after she died, my father-in-law, I asked him how he was about two weeks later, and he said, well, this is the thing we spent 37 years preparing for. Our entire lives were being prepared for one of us to die. 
It was an inevitability. But we poured into uh, one another. We pointed one another to Christ. And so we've been preparing for this for the 37 years of our marriage. And there was a lot of wisdom in that. As we learned the news that my mother-in-law wasn't going to survive, my wife asked me if I would go share with my four-year-old son that Mimi would die. And I I was, I mean, I was young. I was maybe, let's see, 29. Um, I brought my young four-year-old son out to the hallway of the hospital. And I said, hey, buddy, I I need to talk to you. Uh, Mimi is going to die. She's not going to make it. Um, The cancer uh, is going to take her life. And I remember him, just four-year-old self, sitting there kind of reflecting. And then we went into the hospital room. And everybody in the hospital room is crying. My wife, her sisters, their husbands, my father-in-law, me. Two people weren't crying. My mother-in-law and Jack. And uh, four-year-old Jack said, why are you crying? Stop crying. Jesus rose up. Mimi's going to rise up too. And I remember my mother-in-law's laugh and her smile. And she got it because she was in the midst of entering her death. And he got it because he was, had this innocence of a child. And all the rest of us in the room didn't get it. <laughs> but we got it then when he said it. And that is why, yes, death is a judgment. But we get to boldly reflect on our death. Because Jesus rose up and we will rise up too. Let's pray. God, we thank you for... Your grace and your kindness and your love. Father, I pray that as we spend this season reflecting on our own mortality and our death, on pain, suffering, sin, repentance, that we would do so purposefully, that you would be forming us in the midst of it, drawing us closer to you, that we would recognize uh, that we have hope, that reflecting on our death will lead to the greatest joy of celebration on Easter morning, six weeks from now. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, this season would um, not be spent in vain, but that would be reflective and you would be forming us in Christ's name.